Hey, it's Joey Thurman. I'm excited to bring you season two of the Fad or Future podcast. We live in a world where information is everywhere, easy to access, and sometimes not always accurate, especially in the health and wellness space, which is exactly why I created this show. There's two sides to every story, and I'm here to present both and let you decide, is it a fad or is it the future? Health fads come and go, but the science behind them is what makes them work or fail. I'm bringing the experts to you and putting the facts on the table so you can decide how and where to put your efforts in your own personal health and wellness journey. What's going on? It's Joey Thurman. Here's another episode of the Fad or Future podcast. In in front of me is a good-looking man in his own right. He calls me Sexy Joey, which I am totally okay with that. My friend for quite some time now, Brian Kent, an author of the brand spanking new book, Walked On, Lessons from a Two-Sport Non-Scholarship College Athlete. Brian, buddy, well, it's it's nice to see you. I wish we could do this in person. I wish I could give you a hug, smell your musk, but we can't do that, and we're on Zoom right now. But congratulations, buddy, um, and it's nice to see you. Thank you for having me. I feel like I'm losing hair because I'm not in the room if we're sexy, Joey, and I can see you through Zoom. Got to get you a Zoom deal because if you can come across this sexy through a Zoom call, I mean, in person, watch out, people. So, oh, okay, yes. you know, I, I really wish we could talk about myself during this whole podcast, <laughs> but you know, I, 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 I only have done in almost two years of doing this. I've only done one solo episode podcast. So, enough about me, man. So, I met you back in 2006. I got in my yellow Mustang convertible. Don't hate. It was okay. I loaded that thing up from St. Louis, drove to Chicago. I took a job at Crunch Fitness, which I think there's maybe like two in the world now that are still open. And you were one of the, uh, what did we call them at the time? Head trainers or there was different levels there, if you will. Yes. Uh, and you've always been somebody I, I look up to because there was this guy that like, oh yeah, he, he played college sports. And, you know, at the time, you know, we'll get into it. Um, you hadn't donned a White Sox uniform, but um, your work ethic was really second to none in that facility. And no disrespect to anybody else, but you, you carried yourself differently. So I, I've always um, looked up to you and I don't look up to many trainers, um, honestly. And, and you are one of those ones that I, I can look up to. So um, you have a consistent work ethic, which comes across in this book. And tell me a little bit about why you write it, wrote this book. And, uh, you know, we'll start going from there because I really think this, this story needs to start at the beginning, as they say, because most people would think that, okay, you were in a Chicago White Sox uniform, you got all these scholarships, you were a, a dual sport college athlete, but that's really not the story, right? Correct. You know, um, I pre well, first of all, thank you for the, for the compliments. I appreciate I think that training and sports are similar because if you're a freshman on, on a team, it's always helpful to have the, the juniors and seniors kind of guide you and, and set the tone for what the program is like. So I remember when Stetsy Joy came in into crunch and he was this handsome kid strolling in there you know, trying to find his way. So I think it's, it's from a sports perspective, it's always great for the older guys to help out the younger guys and sort of show them how to, how to be successful and, and make that connection for from leadership standpoint, from a professionalism standpoint, and just from a training standpoint. So I liked you back then. And it's cool to be with you again now. But yeah, the book part, it was interesting. <clears throat> I, I did play college baseball. I did play college football. And I 
my parents had, had been after me for probably maybe maybe while it was even happening they said you know you should really write a book about these these weird experiences that you've had because coming out of high school i'm grew up in, in southwest suburbs kind of where you are i grew up to, in Dowers grove i went to Dowers grove south my dad was a, a football and a wrestling coach and eventually a baseball coach there both my sisters graduated there after me and i grew up a block away from the school so i grew up with a lot of school pride a lot of hometown pride and a lot of probably ethnocentric behavior thinking that if i'm on this team this is this is the best team <clears throat> so my my experience as a as a young athlete you know, my i had great coaches my dad was my coach from little league TV football all the way through high school essentially and you know i had other good coaches along the way as well but the story started at south and i, I use this as an example for all the kids that i, that I work with and our football program at Donner South in the late 90s was awesome. Mid to early 90s. In 93, they were state runners up, losing to Loyola in, in the 6A finals. 6 nothing, I think it was, 7 nothing. My sophomore year, they were in the quarterfinals of the Illinois State playoffs. We, we lost. I was a sophomore, pulled up to varsity at the end, so I was on the field and saw that up close. So going into my junior year, this is a, a program that is pretty well known, and the Chicago Tribune has us number one in the state preseason. This is a, a team of seniors, and the seniors were freaking studs. They were 29 and one going into their senior year. So I'm on the bench, and we're playing Stevenson in week one up in Lincolnshire, which from Downers Grove, it seemed like we were going to Canada. Like I, I don't know if I'd ever gone that far <laughs> on a bus. So we're, we're number one in the state. We go to Stevenson. I'm on the bench, which I probably should have been as a junior on a senior dominant team. And they beat the hell out of us. And they are, you know, destroying us. So garbage time, I get in the game. And I, I played well in a, in a small sample size. And one of the South program pillars that I feel like is really important for all kids is that we were taught that if you have an opportunity and you make the most of it, then you are rewarded with more opportunities. So even though we got our asses whooped in this opening game, personally, I, I played well and I was given the chance to start in week two against Oak Park. And now I feel kind of funny as a grown 41 year old man talking about like high school stories, but there, it's not glory <laughs> days. It's, it's not, it's not Al Bundy. Oh, I scored four touchdowns. Like, like this, this one play, like sort of set me on, on a path. Yeah. So in, in week two at Oak Park, again, we're, were the game is slow again these seniors haven't really lost much and my dad who has a memory like an elephant he's like yeah we, we started off slow like we were, we were kind of moping and not playing well i caught a pass and i've been running down the field and a guy comes up to tackle me and i i light him up i run through him and i i make a a collision that sort of sets our sideline and our offense on fire and my teammates would say it sounded like there was a car accident on the field I broke the kid's helmet in his nose. They had to carry him off the field. Like it was, it was pretty, it was pretty violent. But that one play sort of gave me confidence that, you know, I, I could play at a varsity level, that I could be an impact player. And because our team was so good, no one had ever heard of me. And so I was doing well in under the team concept with these opportunities that were presented to me. And that one play, as I tell the, the kids that I work with, like that one play could be remembered 25 years from now. If I wanted to start, like when did the story really begin? It was probably that play that put me on a trajectory that gave me confidence that I could play sports at a high level. Yeah, it's amazing to look back at things like that because you're right. Everybody talks about their glory days and their high school days, but you rarely hear the defining moment in somebody's career, whether that's sports or anything else. And I, and I 
even as our young son, I'm going to require him to play a sport when he is young because a team sport specifically because you learn so much, especially with a good coach and a good mentor that, that carries over into your entire life. But looking at it and you literally look at a magnifying glass of that, that, that crush that hit that propelled you, you know, that, that kind of lit your fire there into having that confidence. And I think a lot of people, they really don't have the confidence until they realize that they can step up. It's like, you never get better about playing a worse team. You know, you always get better when you surround yourself with better people and you play that better team, you know, so you had, you had that opportunity and you're able to lift yourself up. Okay. So it's junior year. Um, you broke a dude's nose, you broke his helmet and now you've got the confidence. So where does life take you from there? Because if I was just to hear that story and we just, just did that, the highlight of this podcast clip, you, you think, okay, this, this guy becomes a stud. He gets, he gets a football scholarship. He goes on to <laughs> glory, but did that happen? No, I would say no. I, I never really thought of myself as like the star player. And as you mentioned, the seniors were so good. I was a junior guy. I didn't want to be the guy that, that like held us back. Right. Mm-hmm. They let the seniors go and then like they'll win. They, they have proven that. So after I, I knocked the guy out against Oak Park, we have a game the following week against Willowbrook and same scenario. Our, the whole defense is keyed on our tailback, not me. I take a handoff and I'm running up the middle and I, the guy comes up to tackle me. I, I lay him out again and they got to carry him off the field. So again, in two weeks, I had knocked two guys out of the game and we had two big wins. So now is that all me? Absolutely not. Football mm-hmm. is a team sport. I mean, you're, you're a hockey guy, you know, like the, the collisions are a part of the game, but I was able to make two big plays in a short time on a good team that sort of established myself as a, as an impact player mm-hmm. And it, um, back then you had to create your own sort of highlight tape for colleges. Mm-hmm. So on my VHS highlight tape, you got <laughs> kids that don't know, don't know what a VHS tape is. You have to Google that. But I had those plays as my, my first couple of plays on the tape. So any coach that would come in and, and watch, they would say, holy shit, like, this kid's killing people. <laughs> then they, they would bring me down to the office. And they'd say, oh, well, you look a lot bigger in your pads. So I wasn't quite, I didn't quite have the frame to um, inspire full scholarships and all that, but I definitely had a little bit of spark on tape. And I would say those plays were cool, but you have to continue to play well, right? You can't just have one great play in a crappy game because the the tape will will show that. I think that what we really learned is having the consistency of playing well was more important than any flashy play. So Mm -hmm. while there were a couple of flashy plays, I learned the the importance of consistency because we used to get these little stickers on our helmets right? High school football helmet stickers were cool. And if we got a light blue Mustang, it was because we, like our grade of the game was, it was a B or higher. So we, we averaged out to having a good sticker, a good um, performance for consistency. So the big hits, the bad boy hits, those were awesome. But if you had no consistency stickers, it's like, oh, well, anyone can get lucky once, right? right? Wow. That's really interesting because I haven't heard a lot about that mantra, because you said something that stuck with me is you said, even though you're a junior and you made this big play that the senior should still take the reins and they've proven themselves. Most high school kids at that time aren't going to have that mentality. They're going to think they need to be in the game regardless if they are the best or not, because they feel like that they can, you know, they want to be, they want to be seen or their parents try to get them in there or they yell the coach, whatever it is. What gave you that mentality at such a young age? You know, I always looked up to the older kids 
And especially at South, you know, my dad was a coach. We grew up across the street. And I had learned that if like to watch the older kids was probably a smart decision to see how they, again, like, like I was t- telling you when you came to crunch to sort of set the tone, like how do these guys who are good football players, how do, how do they carry themselves? How are they practicing? What are their habits like? Are they, you know, are they training the right way? Are they you know, building camaraderie on the field? Are they showing leadership skills when things are going well or when they're not going well, you know, and everyone can play well when you're winning. Right. But your real character comes out when you're losing. And when you saw, a bunch of uh, gritty dudes that would they would dig in and fight when they were down like that was a testament to their character and some of the pillars of the program that you know we, we play hard till the whistle ends so the game is over so as, as a junior it's like okay well these guys are seniors it's their last year of high school they're they're pretty freaking good like i get it like i i'm it's not my time yet i'll be ready just in case it is but i understand why i'm not in the game right now mm. They deserve, they deserve first crack. And I think you're right. I think some of these kids are like, oh, well, I'm not sitting on the bench. No way. I, I, I don't sit on the bench. And I'm like, well, I, if you run an all-star team in the NHL or MLB, there's a chance you could be on the bench. So like, how do you use that time? Well, how do you, what are you learning? How are you prepared? So should you get your chance, you're ready to make the most of it. Yeah, you're right. It is about taking the opportunity. Okay. So you, you played football and you were also uh, a pretty high level high school baseball player too. So I, I loved football. I loved baseball. I loved basketball. My dad coached wrestling. My sisters played volleyball. I come from a very sport-based family. Mm-hmm. But football and baseball were were very much – I don't know if you ever saw the ESPN 30 for 30 on Deion's double play, where Deion Sanders plays in two MLB playoff games and one football game in the same weekend. I actually haven't no, seen that. It's, it, it's awesome. But he talks about how when he was – it's like having dating two women, right? So when you're with football – you're thinking about baseball and you're with baseball, you're thinking about football. And I had a real hard time like committing fully to either one, which hurt me for sure is I tried to play up in, in college and, and beyond. So even when we were writing the book, my, my sister wanted to put, it's very visual. There's a lot of pictures in there. And she's like, well, should we use a football picture or a baseball picture? And I'm like, Oh, I don't know. Like I, I'm a grown man. I still can't decide over which right. one I, I like better. So I had a real hard time. I, mean, I love them both, but I, I couldn't tell you, even if you were offering me a, a full scholarship or a number one draft pick like to, to just pick one, even now my stomach would flip over because I, I couldn't decide over which one mm. I wanted to go, which is a major problem for me, as, as the book will explain. Yeah. Interesting, because, you know, I, you know, I, I played high level hockey and I was a soccer goalie. And it turns out my backup in high school ended up playing professional soccer. You know, um, so it's one of those things where I, pr- I probably should have gone on to play soccer, but my love was hockey. You know, I, it's likely I could have been making a lot of money playing soccer, but sure, it wasn't the love. So it's a really, it was really interesting being torn <laughs> between the the girlfriends for you. Uh, right. <laughs> now, now you're a one woman man. Um, of course. <laughs> okay. Uh, so your high school journey, where, where does that take you um, after that? So baseball itself was, we weren't that good. We wasn't, I would say South was a football school, mm-hmm. not quite like a, like a, like a Texas or, or like that, but it, football was probably the, the dominant male sport, football, basketball, and, and um, not baseball. So when it was baseball season. It's like, Oh, I, I love playing baseball, but like my, you know, football in the book, like it's on TV on Saturdays, college football is always on. Mm-hmm. There was no college baseball on TV. The Tribune yep. and the Sun Times did never talk about college baseball. 
And growing up in Chicagoland, I feel like Chicago is a pro sports town. You know, when I, when I got to college, I, I found that some of these kids, like they grew up loving the Hawkeyes and loving the Huskers. Like it was their like life dream to play for them and have a jersey with their name on it. Like I, I get it. It's cool. We don't have that same connection here. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we don't have, a, like, I guess in Chicago, I'd say Notre Dame is important. You know, Illinois, a little bit. Northwestern. I couldn't get in Northwestern. <laughs> I, could, I could probably <laughs> barely spell Northwestern back then. <laughs> But we don't have that same like connection. So yeah. to me, like playing for the Bears or playing for the Cubs and Sox or the Bulls, like that was like the the ultimate. So for baseball, you know, having a good high school experience, and I I played I was a three year starter as a varsity player. And South was a big school at that time. We had about three two hundred kids in it. Uh, it was it was rare for sophomores to be varsity players. And on that sophomore on that excuse me, my sophomore year, our team was. Not that great, but we got hot in the playoffs, and we were one game away from making it to, to state. It was probably my error on a throw at a third base on a steal that, like I would say, was contributed to our our loss. Hmm. So, I you know I, I didn't make it take advantage of the opportunity on that on that steal, and I we paid for it. So, baseball was always like I love catching, I love being a catcher, I love working with pitchers, I love being in charge of, of the defense, I love spending three hours in the squat down there, I love blocking balls in the dirt. I love the, the gritty, grime, grimy part of it, which is probably consistent with like being a hockey goalie, right? I'm sure that mm-hmm. those traits are are um, reflected as well. But you know, baseball was—I was probably a better baseball player, but I think I liked football more. Mm. And when it came down for you know after high school, I had a chance to. The University of Iowa was definitely recruiting me for both sports, so my body and my frame were probably more built for for baseball but I was given a chance to be a preferred walk-on on the football team as, as, a, as a high school kid. And I, I, my body wasn't quite built for, I guess, looking back at it now, I didn't have the Division One Big Ten size to offer up a scholarship, but I probably had a frame and a, and a highlight tape that showed, huh, this kid gains 20, 30 pounds. He could be, he could be good in a couple of years. Right. So football had offered me a preferred walk-on at Iowa, and the baseball coach had, offered, had mentioned that I was one of four kids that were going to be given a baseball catching scholarship at the end of the season. And two of those kids ended up going elsewhere. So it was between me and another guy for the, the final Iowa catching scholarship. So I thought, oh, wow, I'm going to be a scholarship catcher at the same school I've agreed to be a walk-on fullback. Holy shit. This is like, I'm playing Big Ten football. I'm a scholarship catcher. You know, the, the Cubs AAA team was in Des Moines. It's like, oh my God, like I'm on my path. Like we're, we're ready to, to roll with this. And right around the end of my high school uh, career, right before graduation, I get a call from, from coach Dwayne Banks, who the Iowa baseball complex is now named after saying that, Hey, just want you to know I've retired effective immediately. And there's, there's no scholarship being offered to anybody. This was probably late May of, of 1997, <clears throat> about a month before graduation. So he told me that if the new head coach was hired from within the program, and I could play two sports at Iowa as a freshman. And he kind of hinted that if, if baseball gave me a scholarship and football did not, I could play both sports for a year. And then eventually I would, I would be playing baseball, which I feel like was a fair, a fair suggestion on his part because I wasn't that big. But, I, but if I gained 20 pounds, maybe I would, but I was ready for baseball now. Right. So he said the new coach was hired from within the program. I could play football and baseball as we agreed upon, but just without a baseball scholarship. Hmm. Okay. So – what goes through your mind when he calls and tells you that? Are you, are you still 
still, still think of them. You're still a high school kid. I think, are you thinking, all right, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to conquer the world. I'm going to get there. Or are you just kind of destroyed because you, you had agreed to go there with, with this coach? Probably a little bit of ignorance. I always thought, well, I don't care if I have a scholarship or not. I'll show you how good I am. Mm. I, I will play because I will earn that spot, whether I have a scholarship or not. My, my mentality, my work ethic will not change whether I'm on scholarship or a walk-on. But as long as you give me a chance, like that's all I'm asking for. Yes, a little, little money would have been helpful. Right. But as long as I'm on the field, cool, like let, let's go. But obviously it doesn't always work out that way. And when the new Iowa baseball coach was hired from within the program, after my, well, so I get to Iowa and I'm a football player. and I have mono. I get to school. I spend my first day in hospital. And I'm a 183-pound Big Ten fullback, which is very small and very light. And when you see punters and kickers that are bigger than you, it's like, <laughs> hmm, that's – I'm little. Like I, I need, I need, I'm, I'm little for a high school kid, much less a, a Big Ten football player. Right. So that first fall at Iowa was pretty much survival mode, trying to you – know, once I, I was cleared for contact – after about six weeks, they, they gave me an option to sort of sit out, but I, I, I wouldn't take that. I, I didn't come here to watch. I came here to, to, to fight and claw and, and play. But, you know, going to Taco Bell to eat 10 crunch tacos before going to bed to try to put on a weight when you're 18. There's other ways that are probably a little bit more effective that I, I didn't know of then. Right. So I was little for Iowa football. And the, when it was time for baseball, the baseball coach basically told me that because I was on the football team, he would not have me on the baseball team because he was going to keep baseball players that were committed to baseball year round. Wow. So that was the first, that was like, that was a soul crusher because I knew in my heart that I would eventually become a strictly baseball player, but then to be told that I couldn't play baseball because I was playing football. When the whole reason why I went to Iowa was because I was told I could do both really like slapped me in the face. So what did you tell the coach when he told you that? Did you try to convince him otherwise? I had no response. Like I, I literally had not prepared for that suggestion. And I, I, I was, I was stunned. I was stunned. Now, yeah, now again, here's my internal struggle. Had he said, okay, Brian, if you want to commit to baseball right now and quit football, you're in. I don't even know if I would have been able to make that choice in that moment. Mm. So that was, that was a tough one because you know, new coaches are never, they never have to honor the decisions of previous coaches. And I was never one of his guys. I had just met him like not too long after, I got on campus and I was never one of his recruits, which mm. is also a nice life lesson that you got to have people that want you. Very, 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 I mean, that speaks volumes too. So, I mean, any, any kids listening right now or anybody, I mean, you got to have people that want you because I mean, right there, I think that you probably were a little tongue tied at 18, 19 years old and, and what to do. And we truly need these life lessons that happen to us you know, pun intended, I guess, for the book uh, that happened to us or that you learn from other people. And often, even if somebody tells you, like you can, you can read this book and definitely check it out, but you can read the book if you don't implement the strategies, you know, when th these things happen to you, it's, it's not going to do anything. You know, it's like you can wish in one hand and shit in the other was going to fill up first. So, <laughs> um, so you've got, I had to get that in there. Um, <laughs> All right. So, so, so now you're, you're kind of stuck and, and, uh, a little distraught. So what do you do to finish out the football season? So I had always 
assumed that spring was for baseball, but now I'm not on the baseball team. So I'm, I'm involved with football winter conditioning, which is hard and you know, it, it, what it should be for, for the big 10 level. And I, I gained 20 pounds. Which, so now I'm, I'm about two Oh five, which is probably what I should have been when I got to campus. And I'm, I'm out there for spring football and I'm, I play in the spring game. I catch a pass and I'm thinking, how, how do I, if my, so I also, I, I took this leadership class in Iowa city and we read the seven habits of highly effective people by Stephen Covey. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with that book? Mm-hmm. I've, I haven't yep. read it, but I'm familiar. Yeah. One of those habits is to begin with the end in mind. So you, any project you take on, you start it with knowing where you want to be at the end of it. And if my goal is to be a major league baseball player, why the hell am I playing college football? Right. So that's not that, that decision isn't going to help me get to where I want to be. So I, I unfortunately I was like crushed again. I had, I had to give up football to play baseball. And since I couldn't play baseball in Iowa city, I had to find another option because I was too small for Iowa football and I was not beginning with the end in mind if my end goal was to be a major league baseball player. Hmm. Okay. Time to transfer. So, so how does, how does that process work? You contact coaches at other schools and say, Hey, I'm going to get out of here. Um, or does people, somebody contact you? In 1998, it was, it was a tricky process. Now it's much easier. I can, you, if, you, if you went to your Instagram page right now and said, Hey guys, I'm transferring out of school. Who wants me? You'd probably bombarded with like a hundred messages instantly. Cause that's, that's just the, the way people communicate. Now, back then we had to sort of scour through the internet, which was pretty new in 98 mm-hmm. and, and try to find any places I was still, I wanted to be a division one player. It's like, well, who, what's a good fit for me? You know, one of the schools that, that um, it was after me hard in high school is university of Illinois, Chicago, but they had signed since I committed to Iowa, they had signed like two or three catchers. So even they weren't looking for catchers. So it's like, not where do we go? Like, what, what do we do? So with the help of some, you know, some local coaches that I, that I knew, we had looked at a few schools and I had played summer ball with a guy that was a baseball a pitcher at the University of Nebraska. And I, I didn't even know where that was on the map, but I knew their football team was pretty good because they were national champs three times in the 90s. I mean, everyone knew that they were good, but I didn't know anything about baseball. But at that time, we had reached out because I had a, a summer ball teammate that played there. And they were had a new coach, and he was interested in looking for athletes, not just players. I thought, oh, I seemed like a good start. So we we visited a few southern schools, and we drove to Lincoln. We met with Coach Van Horn in his office, and he said, "I'm the best players will play, whether you're a walking on or a scholarship athlete. You, you want athletes, not baseball players." And since I had good credentials, and a couple of my other coaches had called him, he was willing to give me a shot. It's like, holy crap! And plus, back then. The facilities were the weight room. Joey was was sick in the '90s. Like not everybody had these monster cavernous warehouse weight rooms. You know, back in, in Iowa, football had their own weight room. Every other sport had this like crappy closet full of like shitty weights. <laughs> Iowa football was huge. Everything else was sort of secondary. But in Nebraska, this huge weight room was for all sports. Hmm. It didn't matter what sport you played. Everyone lifted in, in the same room. It's like, wow, this is this is sweet. Like this is like the the pinnacle of. Baseball gets to work out and on these like hammer jammers. Like this is, this is awesome. So one of the reasons why I, I said, yes, let's go here was because I was so impressed with the facilities and their commitment to, you know, athletic and academic excellence. Mm-hmm. So they had this little study hall area for players and there was a pretty big, they were really into all aspects of athletic and academic excellence. That's, that's really interesting because I mean, now, um, I mean, I, I spent a week at IMG Academy in Florida, which is basically right. a, 
a high school, well, not basically, it is a high school for 70% of their kids going to division one is some, something right. crazy. You know, it's like $80,000 a year. They do offer some sort of scholarships, but you know, they've got all these multiple facilities. So you see high schools now, you know, obviously IMG is top notch. I think they're number one in high school football, but you, you see these major facilities and you walk in and, and it does set the tone to how you feel like your life's going to be. I'm like, man, if I would have gone to IMG, you know, played soccer right. here. What I like, I, I would have been fine, but that's also what the pretty much the rest of the country is thinking. And, um, you know, it's nice when, when people really take the effort to cover everything and you, you mentioned it, especially, um, education as well. So, I mean, you know, I went to college basically play hockey and kind of figured it out from there. But, uh, <laughs> I, th I think, you know, when you, when you have somebody and not just one person, but an entire program behind you, uh, and you've got those people that that believe in you. I, I think that really sets you up. So you get to you get to Nebraska. You start playing right away. No, uh, so I I was never involved. So I you and I are kind of close in age, but like travel baseball was never a part of my youth. Like I, I played football in the fall and baseball in the spring and summer. So I was never part of like a travel team that traveled outside of Chicagoland area. So when I got to Lincoln and we had fall ball, it's like play baseball in the fall like i <laughs> falls for football but some of the kids that were like a year behind me like they had come from these year-round you know select programs that were they love fall ball and i'm, I'm still a little bit pissed because i'm not playing football in the fall you know the weather changes the leaves change it's like i'm thinking football and now here i am standing you know <laughs> on the baseball field i could hear a football practice happening you know a few a few um, fields over so that was a little bit of a tough transition for me having to have give up football now I'm playing fall baseball in a football school. So that was like my own internal battle. But I realized right away that I, I was, I was a bit behind because I had a full year of football. I had not played baseball and I played summer ball after I leaving Iowa, but I had not been specific to, to baseball really ever. Mm. And so I, I could tell right away, like, Ooh, like I, I need to get caught up quick because I wasn't ready yet for, for what was coming. And I, I was lucky, I guess, I feeling fortunate that I, that I was uh, kept on. Because, you know, I think baseball, I don't know if hockey's like this, but baseball, you are guaranteed to have some days where you are absolute garbage. Mm. That's why I feel like baseball is very relatable because you have good days, you have bad days. You try to keep the same mentality every time. Well, you're not as good as you think you are, not as bad as you think you are. And if you have a bad day, well, all it takes is like one good at bat the next day and everything's turned around, right? Where you're that close to getting hot. Mm -hmm. So trying to keep it like a level head during all this chaos is, is interesting for any athlete, much less, you know, 19, you know, high school, college age. So trying to maintain a level sanity, like a level level, excuse me, a even level of sanity when you're struggling. And a lot of those kids, if you seen this, they come to college and they're the best player in their town. They're the best player in their, in their state on their select team. And then they get to college and like, Whoa, everybody's like that. Everyone's the best player in their town. I didn't feel like I was ever a, like a superstar at any level. So I feel like I dealt with failure a little bit better than others. Cause I, I wasn't hitting 600 in high school. You know, I mean, I was, I mean, I was, I was good, but like not great, I guess right. is how I would describe it. So I was able to handle that better than others. Yeah. I mean, how, how would you handle that adversity? You had a lot of adversity thrown at you and, you know, people that experience a lot of success when they have that failure, if you will, they don't really know how to handle it. Actually, my last podcast was why you should be a failure, but I, I, I think people need to fail. But if you haven't really experienced falling on your face, 
How do you get up? That's a, that's a great point. And I'll tell you, there's a part of the book where at Iowa, I'm 183 pound fullback. And this is one, one play that stands out in my mind is, is something where I had not been used to being the nail. I was used to being a hammer and I got laid out on like three consecutive plays where I was definitely the nail. And I remember is in the book also where Bobby Diaco, who was our, our scout team coach. He's, I think he was, he's currently the, the defensive coordinator at Purdue. He's been at Nebraska, Notre Dame. He's kind of a big name in college football. You know, he, he saw this happen and he's like, Jesus Christ, Kent, defend yourself. Like he saw me just get smoked. It was almost like um, in Fresh Prince where the Uncle Phil throws guys out of the house. They go flying backwards. <laughs> it was kind of like, it's kind of what happened to me. Yeah. And the guy that did it, Skip Miller, he was, he was probably 6'3", 250, right? I'm 6'2", 180, right? So that's, that's not an even collision. But, you know, looking back on now, I, I probably shouldn't have gotten back in the, in the huddle for the next couple of plays. But I'm like, shit, I got, I can't go out like that. So I guess what I'm saying is I had been knocked down before, like figuratively mm-hmm. and literally. And it's like, well, there's only one way to go. It's up. So if I went 0 for 4 at the plate, it's like, well, at least I didn't get trucked by Skip Miller. So that's, that's always, <laughs> there's no physical pain, right? And I guess that, that helps. And baseball is a game of failure. Mm-hmm. So you have to be understanding that, that you are going to suck on some days. And you just got to make sure that those sucky days don't string together. And you have a, you know, two bad days better lead to three good days. You know, yeah. it's all it takes is, is, is one, one good play to turn it around. So you got to embrace the suck, man. <laughs> embrace the suck. When, when the Cubs came out with, with uh, Joe Madden or try not to suck, whatever that was, it, like, it's like, <laughs> that's funny because baseball players can be pretty humble. As good as you are, you're going to be terrible a couple times a year. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's very true. Any sport is like that or anything in business. I mean, you know, there's days when you're you know, on the ice and I just, I didn't have it. I felt like shit. And then you, like I said, you have that one spark, whether it's you running over somebody or that one shot, that one play, you know, you're like, you, it really sets the tone. So I think if anybody is really right now, especially with 2020, 2021, uh, you've got those bad days, just you're wait, you're waiting for your good moment. And then that moment can really spark you, whether that's running that person over, scoring that goal or, you know, getting that job offer. So uh, I really think that's a good lesson there. So how do sure. you, you still, you, now you're at Nebraska. Uh, when do you really kind of start uh, taking the field and catching up? So uh, we obviously the commitment to college sports, as you know, is, is big time. And that was, that was what I, I, I loved the most. I didn't really want to be a regular student and, and go out and get hammered on, on a Tuesday. Like I, I didn't do any of that. I wanted to, to get better. And, and, you know, my goal is to play major league baseball. Right. So I, I, that's what I'm here for. So if I had to make social sacrifices, I was cool with that. But that, that first year, you know, um, my, my coach and I, we had a couple instances. And I, I was I barely played. Like we played 60 games as a team. I, I played in six of them. So I got not even a, I shouldn't be playing. I, I'm not as good as the other guys, which I'm cool with. But there were a couple of times where I felt like I had earned some some playing time in garbage time, just based on how like I, I had gotten better at my work. I think I was a team first kind of guy. And in the book, we, we beat Kansas by 26 runs over the weekend. Everybody played but me. Hmm. We played a game at Iowa State. It was 14, like it's like a five-hour game. Everybody played but me. And I'm thinking, well, what what do I have to do to, to get into the lineup during some of these these like not garbage time, but these sort of blowout moments. And some of the other coaches would tell me, oh yeah, you're going to, you're going to play some of these midweek games that were non-conference. I'm like, oh, great. Let's go. 
and then I would show up and, and I would never be in the lineup. And there was not only that, I was, not only was I not starting, I probably wouldn't play at all. So I'm like, I'm getting like these different messages. And it's interesting because some of my clients that read the book, like, how do you remember all, all this stuff? Papers about them while it was happening that my mom and dad kept in, a, in like a bin in the garage that huh. I was able to use as, as a references that sort of helped add, add some credibility to the, to the authenticity of the story. Because it's not just me remembering from 20 years ago. Like I had these physical papers that I used in English class or competition class. I'm like, oh, I remember this. So that helped sort of put some physical placement to the some of the facts. But I didn't get to play much. And I my coach and I kind of had a few moments where he was laying into me for things that I hadn't done. When we were and I was surprised that I'd never really been screamed at before for not doing anything. Mm. You know, basically being in the wrong place at the wrong time. And I'm thinking, I'm I'm not a little bitch. Like why what I don't deserve that. So you know, we, we had a good year as a team. We were the Big 12 tournament champions. I have a sweet ring, which I'm I'm proud of. And we, you know, um we advanced into, into the tournament and I, we go home for the summer. I come back in the fall and I had, I had a great fall practice similar to, to like spring football. I were trying to like see who's ready for the spring. And there was me and a, a couple other kids that were, one was on scholarship. The other two were freshmen that were also on scholarship. So I'm the only one that isn't. And our, our returning starter was hurt. So I get to play more and I play well. And we have our, I'm sort of summarizing this, but we have our end of the end of the fall meeting. And he says things to me that I have never been told before. Like he broke me down in a way psychologically that, that put me into a very like, dark place that I had never seen before. And I have never really seen since. Mm. So it was clear that he was quite clear that I would never play for him. I wasn't good enough to play anywhere, much less here. And I, I was, I was like stunned because I'd gotten so much better in a short amount of time. So again, from a, from an adversity standpoint, what happens when you think you can do something and someone that's in charge of you says you can't, whether that be a boss or a coach or anybody that's, that's right. in, a, in a leadership role, that was really hard to, to hear because I had done well. I had, I felt like I had, again, my, my dad being a coach, I felt like I, I was pretty aware of, of how to get better and what I needed to do to be successful. I, I could, I could pretty much self coach and regulate. Not that I didn't like coaching because I said I did, but I, I could like know what I needed to work on and I would, I, I would take that time to work on it. So when he, he lit me up that way. You know, it's like, well, if I, if I again, if I want to be a major league baseball player and play professionally and I can't play in college, what do I do? Yeah. Do I be a regular student? That, that, that's not for me. How do I, what's the next step here? So I had gone home for Thanksgiving, talked about it with my parents, and we had agreed that I was going to stick in, stay in Lincoln. I was going to be so good in practice that it was embarrassing for him and continue to, to get better. And I was going to you know, be a part of the team and maybe win a World, college World Series. All right, I can handle that. Then I came back and we had another meeting and they, all three coaches tore into me and, and put me into that, in that place again, basically saying that I didn't deserve to be there. I wasn't good and I couldn't play. So after that, I decided I, I, I can't stay here because I, I feel like I'm, I'm unwanted. I love my teammates. I love my, my best friends around the team. My girlfriend, now wife, was on the, the Scarlet Dance team, one of the, the, the dancers for football and basketball games. So it's like I have this life here. Now, now what? Where do I go now? Yeah. How does this... How does this play out? So, so did you did you pick up and leave? Because man, that's gonna be hard because it's you hear this all the time about people saying, like, I had a teacher that said I wasn't smart enough, I'd never do anything, and then I became a billionaire, whatever. But right, but that's like a high school teacher or something else. 
you were already on the team. You were already there. You had already, from what you had thought, proven yourself and put it put in the work ethic. So how in the hell do you come out of that when you've got a multitude of coaches now saying like, hey, get off the team for, and give room for somebody else, basically, right? It was tough, man. And again, I, the one in Iowa City was different because he was basically questioning my commitment. Mm. In Lincoln, I was my ability was being questioned, which which was something that I had never been a part of before. And I think you, you've probably seen this from hockey. Like every time, you know, you got some hot shot freshmen that come in there and they think they're pretty good. And, and maybe they're late to practice one day. Maybe they oversleep for a meeting or they they skip class or they, they're late for weights. Like that was never me. You know, my, I got come from a coaching family. My grandpa was in the military. I come from a fairly disciplined background where I was a, at South, I was a two sport captain. So like I, I get like, I will be the first person there and the last person to leave. You know, it's not going to be, I'm not going to be outworked at any level. So if I'm working hard and doing well and getting better, why, why are you saying these things to me? If I sucked and I wasn't good, like I get it. And I think that most players get to a point where they realize that maybe it's the jump from high school to college or college to pro, or where you're like, man, I, I'm not as good as these guys. Mm -hmm. I, I never, I never thought that, you know, my roommate in Nebraska was Ken Harvey, who was uh, Kansas City Royals draft pick played in the big leagues and was a major league baseball all-star in 2004. So like he's at the, at the highest level, he's snoring right next to me. It's like, I, I can do what he does, not quite the way he does it, but like I, all these players and my teammates are being eventually draft picks and a handful of them are making it to the top of, of baseball. It's like, we're all in the same room. Why them and not me? Mm. And you know, that's, I don't know if that's, I hope that doesn't sound selfish, but no. I thought, well, I'm doing the work. I'm ready. I, I want the same things that they, these guys have. Well, how come they're able to play and I'm not? Hey, I don't, man, that's not selfish. That's realistic because you surrounded you know, yourself. And, uh, and sometimes in life, it's just about who gets that extra opportunity. You know, if playing fields are even, you know, sometimes this one person will get that opportunity and some won't. And it, it, it might be that, that little moment where you've got to shine, you know, and uh, I really have a similar path to you because, you know, I stopped playing college hockey and I, and I thought like, Maybe I go play minor league, but I don't get my ass kicked for forty thousand dollars a year, and and I bust my teeth out, and like I like my face, and my mom spent a lot of my parents spent a lot of money on you know orthodontists and whatever, you know, and I got opportunity five years after college to play a single A program, and I got on the ice first period, you know, and I'm like, what's going on? Like this is moving. These are all kids that didn't play college, but they went straight to playing single A pro. And then second period, like I I break out, the game slows down. I get a breakaway, hit the post. I don't score, but then there's a bench clearing brawl. I can slap shot. Literally, the coach jumps <laughs> off the ice, you know, and I and I get done playing. And it was the Detroit Hitman. I can't. I don't even know the name of the, the single like pro league at the time. And a scout comes in afterwards. I'm 27 years old, dude, and he's like, hey, you know, we're starting a new league, a new single A league next year. You know, we'll, we'll we'll give you, we'll pay for you. You'll stay with the whole family, whatever. I'm like, dude, I'm 27 years old with a wife, like thanks but all these guys are 19 to 22 so you know i had that moment afterwards which i want to get into like kind of because you know you go through college you have all of that and then you end up playing baseball somewhere else correct where, well, where do you, jackie's where do you dad go? jackie's dad was a, a big baseball fan he himself was drafted by the by the reds in the 70s he's a big pitcher loved baseball and knew i wanted to play professionally so he suggested that I stayed in Nebraska and go to the University of Nebraska, Omaha, which is kind of like University of Illinois, University of Illinois, Chicago, but but there. It wasn't that far away. All my credits transferred. They had a new coach, Coach Bob Harold, who had just come from the Royals organization. 
as a player and coach, and he had, he had been very successful as, as a minor league manager. Now he's taking over his sort of his hometown college team. I thought, well, shit, if this guy is, is a pro background, he'll see that I'm ready to play pro ball and he can get me in with the Royals and had just drafted a, a, three of my teammates. I'm like, oh, my goal is pro ball. So even though it's division two and I have to sit out a year, like I, I will take that hit for like to begin with the end in mind, right? Like I, I will eat this one out and then I'll, so I can go you know, be a, a minor league player, hopefully on my path to the big leagues. And I, you know, I got there, I set out the 2000 season and I got in the fall, he, I came home, I played on a summer team in Chicago. It was great. I played well. I was statistically awesome. I had a great year and I could not have been more confident and more jacked up for like the next couple moments for, for college baseball. And coach Harold gave me a scholarship that fall. So here and I'm now I'm like in my seventh college semester, I have a scholarship. I'm like, Oh, here we go. Let's like, now I finally, maybe this was the home that I've been looking for all the time. Here we are. We're ready to play. Let's, let's rock it out. <laughs> and then that's one of our first games of the year where I get off the bus. I'm like, ah, oh, my, my shoulder is hurting me. Like, that's weird. You know, I've always taken care of my arm and not get all the strength conditioning and the rotator cuff exercises. It's, it's like high school. I'm like, ah, oh, it's, it's gotta be fine. It's just, I gotta, I just gotta ice it a little bit. But early in the year, I'm like, God, oh, my arm is killing me. And I'm trying to play through it because I know I, I want to get drafted. I want to play professionally. And I'm, I am playing like shit. Like, I can't throw. And as a catcher, I was, my, my game was primarily defense. I was okay hitter, but I, my, what was going to get me to the next level was essentially defense and catching, blocking, and receiving. And I couldn't really throw the ball back to the pitcher. Mm-hmm. And I, I lost all confidence in, like, in my, when your biggest strength becomes a weakness, not, now it's a mind fuck. And I'm like, oh my God. I can't throw the ball anywhere. Like I, I hit like crap and I finally shut myself down. I barely, I didn't really play a whole lot because it was, it was, it was a, it was a rough, a rough situation with my arm. So we, I hit like, maybe I forget what the book says, maybe like, Oh, 38. Like it's, <laughs> like it's terrible, terrible. That's or maybe okay. it was, no, I'm sorry. Maybe I got 30 to bats. I don't remember. It's, it's bad. Maybe Oh, 38 was a little bit low, but yes, it was, it was bad. And, you know, I got to figure out what's wrong with my arm. The training staff says it's fine. I don't think it's fine. They suggested it was like a, a mental problem. It definitely was not a mental problem. <laughs> so I had come home. I was, I was working construction, you know, playing summer baseball again. And I get a letter in the mail saying that my scholarship for the, for the 2001 academic year is 0.00. So oh, wow. I call my coach. We have an argument on the phone about whether or not I'm a scholarship athlete. I say that I, I played bad because I'm hurt, not because I suck. He's like, well, if you, since you're not a scholarship athlete, you're expected to clean out your locker. You can try to walk on to the program if you want to. I'm like, whoa, hold on, hold on. I'm not, I didn't come here for this. And I, I had to figure out what was wrong with my arm. Because had the, had the White Sox called me that day, I, I probably couldn't have played because I, I was hurt. So after seeing you know, a physical performance decline, I saw a surgeon, Dr. Mark Asselmeyer, He's like pushing on my arm. He's like, oh, yeah, this, this is a problem. And the MRI showed no tears, but he, you know, he's pushing on me. He's like, yeah, this is, we should probably scope this. Now, every surgeon is always going to suggest surgery. Right. But I, I feel like I had no options in terms of, you know, uh, pain was high, performance was low, and I didn't see it getting any better. So I had shoulder surgery on September 11th, 2001, which we all know was a, a, crazy, a crazy day for the world and, and for the United States. That was a stressful day. Yeah. But he found that my rotator cuff was torn and he put me back together in this like immobilizer sling. And uh, that was pretty much the end of my college baseball career. Wow. 
So you, so three, you, you get surgery, you get surgery. Well, you lose your scholarship. You get surgery. Do you contact your coach and say, Hey, I actually might rotate a cuff was screwed. Or you just let that go. We talked about it. And he, again, I, I'm trying to look at this objectively from his perspective, right. right? He's a new coach. He's trying to build a program. I come in with some hype and I, I play like crap. Not because I'm bad. Cause I'm hurt. I think he's like, well, I got to get that scholarship from somebody else. Yeah. Right. He's, he's, like damaged goods. He didn't say that, but I'm trying to see it from his perspective. Mm-hmm. That's fair. And I'm thinking I'm, I'm an out of town guy. I'm not, I don't really belong here. I'm here to, for baseball. Now there's no baseball. So I might as well look into this graduation thing. <laughs> so for, for college, right. I, I was five years, three sports, two, excuse me, five years, three schools, two sports, one surgery and one illness. <laughs> wow. All right. So yeah, when when I met you back at Crunch, bringing it full circle here, you 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 know you were I don't want to say just a trainer, but right, that's what you're doing. You're a trainer, uh, but you weren't getting ready for the White Sox. How does that happen? So I played two years of, of low level independent league baseball, which is probably comparable to uh, there's probably some hockey comparisons that I don't know. So it was probably that it, sing, that single A minor league pro program i played with i can't even remember the name of the league so there you go. yep it, it, it is professional baseball it's minor league mm-hmm. baseball but yep. it was an independent northern league i was getting paid 750 dollars a month wow to you know be a catcher and it's my first year post-surgery i'm on bus rides for 20 plus hours like it's i'm not i'm i'm a backup player which is my role and i'm i'm playing not well in limited time plus you have all this time to think about how much you suck when you're when you walk up to the plate and you see you're hitting 190, it's like, geez. And then you go, plus the fa- fans are like, hey, Kent, it says here you weigh 210. You're hitting 190. You suck. Like, yeah. Thanks for the reminder, buddy. Like, I, I see the same thing that you see. So I, I played in Gary in, uh, in 2004. I played in San Angelo, which was, again, for $600 a month. And there was times where I would get a chance to play and I'm playing well. And then they would, it would, the team would shift and I would be on back on the bench. So I'm, I'm like really frustrated with, I pretty much had no playing time in college. And now my, I'm trying to make up for it. And then I'm in situations that are really out of my control. And here I am, I'm 26 now, 25. I'm making 700, excuse me, $600 a month in San Angelo. I'm home. I, I need to find a job because I don't know what, what's going to happen with baseball. So training the crunch was like, finally, the something that was fucking stable. Right. Finally, I started crunch in 2003 after my season in Gary. I left a little bit in 2004 for baseball. I came back and I had finally like had consistent paychecks and, you know, like a home base where I could go. It wasn't like bouncing around schools. So, and I didn't play baseball in 2005 or 2006, which is in baseball years. Like it's a lot to, to lose. Mm-hmm. But the Sox won the World Series in 05, right? We hadn't, in baseball, we hadn't seen a World Series winner on, any, on any, either side of town for like 80 years, 88 right. years. So it's like, holy cow, these Sox are, like, they're good. We, good teams are in Chicago, but they're always somewhere else. And in, in 2006, the White Sox had a, their director of player development, uh, David Wilder, was a member of Crunch. And I had heard about him through the, the, the uh, sales staff. Like, oh, so this White Sox scout came in the gym, you should meet him, blah, blah, blah. And I was, I saw him and I was like scared to death to talk to him because number one, my college career was, was poor and my minor league career that thus far had been disappointing to best. So I'm like, Oh, I would love to play. What do I do? I haven't played in a couple of years. And it took me like the whole summer to figure out how to talk to the guy. It's like, well, how do you ask a major league scout for a chance? Like, do I, 
if he's in the bathroom peeing, do I go pee next to him? Like, hey, man, how are we doing? Oh, yeah, I see you're getting naked in the locker room. Should I sit next to you here and have a discussion? Like, what, what do I do? Like, I don't even know how to do that. But when I decided to talk to him, he, he was super cool. And he actually offered me an invitation to spring training in 2007. I did not ask for anything. He said, oh, you're a left-handed hitting catcher. Do you still play? I said, well, no, but I, I want to. It's all I want to do. He's like, you want to come to camp next year? I said, yes. Yes, I do. So that was that would have been September of, of 06. And I thought, well, you know, maybe he's nice. I, I don't know him. He, he could be bullshitting me. He could be he could be, you know, just being polite. He might forget about this in an hour. Who knows? Right. But I thought if, if he was serious and I'm not ready, I will never forgive myself. So, you know, they say sometimes you got to let things go before they, if you love it, let it go. If it comes back to you, it's yours. Like I had not thought about baseball in a couple of years. I didn't feel like I was retired, but I, I had a chance to play in Mexico and I couldn't afford to pay my rent. So it's like, well, crunch is, I like crunch, stable paychecks. I mean, I know what I'm doing here. I'm, it's, it's helpful, but the, the White Sox opportunity, it's like, oh, if he was serious and I am not ready, <laughs> like I will never forgive myself. Right. So I started to prepare. You know, plus being trainers, like I, I learned a lot about training mm-hmm. from other people, like yourself included, about how to how to you know train differently and, and be more athletic and you know strengthen some weaknesses. So I felt like I had used that time to to make my own body stronger and, and healthier and eating better and understanding more about performance and not just trying to smash you know pop tarts and cereal for breakfast. Like you actually, what you eat influences your performance. Crazy. You right? can't just chug Red Bulls and, and be awake, <laughs> right? I mean. <laughs> Yep. These are things when you're a kid, you, no one really goes through with you. But having that that opportunity to play made me really lock in on, on being as good as I could be under the circumstances. So yeah, when, I, when the calendar year turned to 07, I'm on the train going to judo. I get a call from a, a cell phone number I didn't know on my phone. I didn't answer it. And I listened to the voicemail, and it's, it's him saying, just want to make sure you're coming to, to spring training this year. I thought, holy shit. I, call, I called him back right away. I said, yes, yes. I'm like, I'm probably yelling on the train. Like, yes, I'll be there. And then he faxed me a, a contract the next day for 1200 a month to crunch signed, sent back off, off the spring training. We go. Wow. <laughs> so you, you show up, uh, they give you a uniform right away. I show up, I'm 27. I'll be turning 28 in May. This is, this is, which is old, so old 20. for a catcher already. Right. Super old, old for a minor league player for yeah. sure. But I've only I've always, I've also been off for two years, and I have I think, oh man, I don't have a lot of at bats to go off of. So some of the guys I played against in 03 were now managers in, in 06. So like you're still playing? I'm like, yeah, well here I am. But I, I got there, you know, I get a locker, and I talk about you know, the Huskers and the Hawkeye kids that love their team. You know, I, I look at I see a, a black White Sox jersey with my name on the back, and I'm like, chills, like everything. My heart stops for like a couple seconds. I'm like, oh, like that's like it's real. It's real. So my family split between the Cubs and White Sox, but uh, is, um, you know, we started going to more Sox games because it was easier to get tickets and it was closer to our house in, in Donner's Grove. So like I, I'd watched the Sox for a long time and obviously it's a baseball town, but when I saw my name on a Jersey, it's like, Oh my God, this is, this is real. I had to like, like control my emotions. Right. Cause it's, it'd been a long journey and a, and a tricky path, but here I am, I'm 27. And some of these kids, like you said, are 18, 19, you know, we're spending a big chunk of practice trying to play catch. I'm like, <laughs> we're working on playing catch. Yes. Cause some of these kids have million dollar arms. And they have no idea where it's going. So, 
wow. trying to you know adjust to that environment, which was cool. Like I loved every second of it. But the um, and the, this is the part of the book where it gets kind of funny. I had a good camp, you know, it's ups and downs, but try to stay level headed. And I got bumped up to AAA for like the last week of camp. The Toby Hall was the White Sox backup catcher that was hurt, and they ended up shuffling around the minor league catchers. And I went up to AAA from from low A ball. And I'm now we're playing the Colorado Rockies, the big league Rockies in the spring training game where I'm wearing major league pinstripe White Sox pants. I'm like, wow, like this is, this is crazy. How am I 27 years old, almost 28. I've been out of baseball two years. The highest level I played prior to this was independent league. Now I'm in the dugout for a major league spring training game with White Sox, you know, stars like John Garland was there, Jim Tomey, you know, it's like, holy shit. I've been watching these guys on TV. Now I'm, they're sitting next to me. I'm like, wow, this is nuts. But like, that's how fast things can change. And on those last days of camp, when people were getting released, no one had talked to me. So I'm like, oh, am I in? Am I out? Where do I go? And I was told that I was going to stay uh, with the A-ball team, which I was too old for, but like, okay. And I'm like, inside, I'm like, okay, whoo, I made a team. That's cool. And then the, the catching coordinator told me that I was going to stay actually in Arizona and extended spring training, which is kind of like the NFL's practice squad. All right. right. So you're kind of hanging around should someone get hurt, which is fine. As long as I'm around, I'll, I'll get better. And then finally I got called in the office and said I was released. So within three minutes, excuse me, 30 <laughs> minutes, I was given three different baseball destinations, each one worse than the last. <laughs> wow. That, that was the end of the career. But I mean, but do you take that as a, I mean, I know looking back at it now, right. But back then, did, did you have the foresight to think like, Holy shit. I mean, this was a big deal. It, David Wilder gave me a chance that nobody else would give, right? He basically scouted me out of crutch. He never saw me play, didn't really know anything about me, nor did he know my my history. He just saw probably, my, I'm 6'2", like 210, like he saw a frame and a bit a big ass. He's like, oh, well, he could, he could probably catch a little bit. <laughs> so he never really, he didn't know me. So it's a, the fact of him to sort of like put his name next to mine, because every every player has on their, on their, on their information sheet, like, the scout that signed him, right? And, and David Wilder would, would be mine. And he was he was based primarily out of Latin America. So he, I mean, he didn't even really recruit or scout local players, much less guys that were <laughs> 27 years old. Right. So that opportunity was something that I've been fighting for so long for. He finally, he was so helpful in a short amount of time. It's like, wow, it was that, not easy, but it was, it was so simple for him to say, yeah, well, we'll take you. So, I mean, they didn't know what they were getting and I didn't think I was going to play much, but I was released on the last day of camp and my grandpa got to watch me play. My, my dad and my uncle Bob came, my aunt and uncle and cousin came, my, my then girlfriend now wife came. Like it was, it was cool to see people watch me play because I hadn't played much in college and I, you know, no one really actually saw me play much. And that was hard to, to, to handle because everybody was supporting me and, and, and helping, you know, get me, help me sort of live the dream, so to speak. Yeah. So is that, a good culmination the end to your athletic story there so on the book there's uh there's two chicago stars which are supposed to signify the start of the, it started here and it ended here and it was you know i see here i go again i, I have a hard time like letting it go because i feel like i can still play right now if, sure. if someone calls to brian we should catch 40 games i'm like i got it i could do it <laughs> so it, it definitely i'm lucky that i had crunch and i had training to come back to I think if I was still living like in my parents' basement, you know, making no money and trying to figure out my life, that would be really hard. Right. But I, I had to sort of let it go to to become a trainer and, and work with clients and then find baseball again 
versus having a, a very difficult lifestyle living in your basement with no money and eating Cheetos and trying to, you know, figure out what's going to happen with your life. Yeah. So what is the overarching, if you were to, if you were to say the major lesson you learned from all of this, what is the life lesson? I think intrinsic motivation goes a long way. I think that if you are motivated to do well, you have to be motivated to do well, regardless of what other people are telling you. You know, it would be a lot of times it's easy to quit, you know, and I, I hope that anyone that reads the book, especially a high school kid or an athlete that has a, a big goal, that they stay locked into that goal under all circumstances, because it isn't always easy. Not everyone out there is going to tell you things you want to hear. And I guess I felt like even though I was being told things I, did, I didn't want to hear, I, I didn't feel like they were accurate or, or correct. I feel like I, I had a, I didn't really believe what they were telling me. So the goal for anyone, anyone that reads the book is to stay locked into your goals under all circumstances. Lock into your goals. Where can people find the book? The best way to find the book is through my website, which is bkstrength.com. There's a walked on icon. Click on that. It will lead you right to Amazon. You could also go straight to Amazon, but it's better for me from a search engine standpoint to go to Amazon from my website. bkstrength.com <laughs> is where I would like everybody to go. Oh, very, very well put. Where can people find you, man, besides bkstrength.com? I'm, I'm sure you got the social. Oh man, I don't, I don't have the, the, the social success that you have, but oh. I do have Instagram at bkstrength underscore Chicago. And hopefully there will be some, you know, some social media blitzes of the book, which we're using hashtag walked on for people are taking pictures of the book cover and adding that hashtag to sort of promote it within the Instagram community. Amazing. Brian Kent, thanks for coming on. Make sure you checked out, check out Walked On, everybody. I'm Joey Thurman. This is another episode of the Fatter Future Podcast. Remember, don't be a fatty, F-A-D-D-Y. Be a part of the future. Take care.